Blog Talk Radio. Right now, 
with Brother Haki. Brother Haki, welcome to Africa on the Moon. Brother Africa, thanks for having me. And, you know, my thing, Brother Africa, <clears throat> you know, uh, is all about the institution building. And one of the things I find uh, somewhat, not ironic, but somewhat um, 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 astounding, is this whole notion in terms of there are still those in the community who don't believe that fascism exists in America. And I find this perception and this claim extraordinary. Uh, you know, recently uh, the uh, Attorney General of the U.S., uh, William Barr, made some very discouraging the, the, uh, remarks in respect to uh, the um, brutalization of African people in the society. In fact, his insistence, you know, that uh, any problems afflicting the, the African community when it comes to police violence is strictly a product of uh, the, the, the African uh, narrative, which is not uh, based upon anything that's real, but simply in their minds. So this kind of tendency to, to dis- disregard the obvious, to disregard the history, in terms of brutalization, assassination, and killing of African people, you know, by police, I think is very, very fascinating. It takes a youth mind to totally disregard truth stand, stand right at you. So anyway, he's talking, and when I listen to him, the question in terms of fascism becomes first and foremost in my mind in terms of just how much it shaped this guy's personality. So in any event, I, I, I got to thinking about that, and I, and I, also, I thought about the fascism in terms of the strength uh, that uh, it, it wails here in, in American society. And it's important that people understand in terms of the strength of this fascism in terms of how it impacts their lives. But anyway, Brother Africa, I want you to check this out. Now, Sarah Churchwell, a UK professor, succinctly defines the character of fascism. Although fascism definition varies according to one's perception of history, Professor Churchwell's definition encapsulates the subtleties of fascism overlooked by many in the world of academia. Churchwell writes, Excuse me, fascism seeks, quote, nostalgia for a pure mythic past, the delegitimizing of political opponents, and demonization of critics, the universalizing of some groups as authentically national while dehumanizing all other groups, hostility to intellectual, intellectualism and a free press, end quote. Indeed, Trump served as a poster boy for all things fascist. But his strategy of politicizing the U.S. Attorney General's office is a strategy not only unprecedented, but a short shot way of facilitating fascism more efficiently. Appointing William Barr to head the Department of Justice tactically was very, very clever on Trump's, on Trump's behalf. Barr, a religious conservative, sees all things through the prism of religion. It is fine to believe religion informs all facets of life, but when Barr asserts declining religious affluence in American life has left the country more vulnerable to government dependency, he fails to appreciate the separation between church and state. Barr's implicit beliefs that all phenomena is religiously inspired complicates his ability to discern what is just and positive from what is banal and destructive. Unable to differentiate between what's right and what's wrong creates a scenario where anything in the action by government can be justified. It would be easy to see why, why Barr's Christian versus them worldview can be easily exploited by Trump to further the objectives of fascism. Unfortunately, Barr's policies are not only informed by religious indoctrination. A strong admirer of John Adams, one of the founding fathers, Barr supports the idea, quote, the Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people, end quote, to which John Adams added, it is wholly inadequate for the government of any other. And aside from the sheer hypocrisy of colonial immorality, given genocide against indigenous people, enslavers, etc., 
notion that only people of faith of hybridized Christianity are legitimate Americans excludes the outside <clears throat> the Christian faith of legitimate leadership. While legitimizing of citizenship may be extended to Christian immigrants from Christian nations, assumedly Western states, the same does not apply to others. Perhaps this is why Trump would gladly trade Puerto Rico for Greenland. Now, Bob's propensity to evaluate light from the lens of morality uniquely disqualifies protesters from any claim to morality. Oppressed nationalities, be they African, Latinos, indigenous Indian tribes, or Asians, attempt to address historical grievances is likely to be viewed as immoral. Perhaps morality compels such groups to suffer silently because it is, after all, what the U.S. Constitution required and what Bob sees as a Christian obligation. The fact such groups engage in protests is proof positive they are not Christians. But the only question for Barr is how do you deal with these non-Christian, this non-Christian threat? For Barr, it's simple. First, create conditions to delegitimize their grievances, then create laws to isolate them, then ultimately destroy such movements. Recently, using the federal bureaucracy, Barr has been busy formulating laws to deny media access to covering protests around the country. In Portland, federal officials were successful in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, repealing First Amendment rights enjoyed by the media and observers covering protests. The court ruled no longer are journalists protected from assault, arrest, detainment by law enforcement. The chilling effect does not start with intimidation of the media by federal law enforcement entities, but creates a precedent for state and local law enforcement to implement similar uh, enforcement methods as well. As Bob stated, this is only the first step if this is the first step, Brother Africa, I wonder what awaits those who confront systematic injustice into the future. And the question for the African community, I would ask them this. Now, if the top law enforcement agencies feel expressing one's grievances is tantamount to criminality and is buttressed by a constitution that implies the only thing of value is property, what choices exist that legitimize humans' rights to self-expression? Without organizations or institutions advocating for change, methodic in the methodic excuse me, in methodical way or consistent way, freedom of expression becomes a mere platitude with it the possibility of self determination impossible to achieve. Now the question for the African Union is very, very clear. It seems to me that you got on one hand you got a law uh, a apparatus a, 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 a legal apparatus in place which doesn't vary the right of African people to, to exist. Then you on the on a more fundamental you have on a more fundamental uh on the more fundamental way of looking at it, you have a system in place, um, but cops in particular, which is which are geared for reinforcing that very that very framework, which says that African lives have no value. So the question for the African people is, what are you going to do against that backdrop in, in regards to, in terms of these systems that fundamentally say that you have no right to exist? Now, clearly, if we vote for uh, Joe Biden, do we really expect that Joe Biden is going to come up with anything that uh, definitively uh, deals with the question in terms of? you know, police brutality or the killing of assassination of African people in society. Probably not, since Joe Biden is also a capitalist, he benefits from where the system currently exists. And so we'd be unrealistic and unwise to assume that simply because he, quote, unquote, is a Democrat, that, in fact, he's going to do those things to determine remedy the real systemic abuses that are inflicted upon African people. So as African people, we got a choice. we got a very difficult choice to make. we got to decide whether or not we want to be free or whether or not we're willing to die. Uh, but it seems to me when, one of the things when you think about the book by um, Samuel Vett, the choice when he talks about the choices between you know uh, dying anyway, 
it becomes clear to me that, you know, it seems to me if you're going to die anyway, then the only real obligation that you have, politically or moral or otherwise, is to simply say, listen, I'm going to fight on my feet as opposed to dying on my knees. So it's a question that African Union have to ask itself, because the situation is becoming more and more perilous, becoming more and more critical. And so no amount of wishing, you know, uh, things would change is going to change the hardcore reality. And let us not be deceived by those conservatives, those um, those individuals, you know, who are propped up by the system for the sole purpose of deceiving the mass of our people into believing that somehow that if we just play ball, everything's going to be all right. So despite 400 years of suffering, injustice, and oppression, it seems to me clearly that no matter how much you play by rules of the game, then there's certainly there's a different standard in terms of uh, uh, of the rules when it comes to African people. So clearly we got uh, we got our, our struggle cut off for us, and the question is what are we going to do? Are we going to create the organizations, the institutions that we need to prevail, or are we going to become willing uh, victims, you know, in our, in our own demise? The question is up to the African community to act itself. All right, next we go to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, welcome to Africa on the Moon. Uh, thanks for having me, Brother Africa. Revolutionary greetings uh, to you and Brother Haki and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Our objective is Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism, which is the ultimate solution to the problems of Africans worldwide. Thank you, Brother Anthony. And then we bring in Brother Moses. Brother Moses, welcome to Africa on the Moon. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Brother Africa, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice, especially the illustrious panelists. My name is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there is one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao tongue. This is Messenger for Government. Fathers, help your children. Thank you once again, Brother Africa, for allowing me to be on the show. Glad to have you, Brother Moses. Right now, you listen to Africa on the Moon. We, this is a part three, three-part series on the issue of issues that you need to know. We're going to entertain some important issues that we need to know. But before we do that, what we're going to do right now, we're going to have a station break. We're going to play some revolutionary music. And when we come back, we're going to our first segment, dealing with what's going on in your world and the community, and we'll start off with Brother Anthony. So we'll be right back. Don't you go nowhere. So vast, so great, these. The color of life, universal harmony. The earth supports our conscious effort for sustained humanity. Human beings, human love on a spiritual tip. So vast, so great, the African embrace. 
live beyond love beyond your skin to where you belong.
you back to Africa on your move as your host, Brother Africa. We're now going to a segment of what's going on in your world and the community. Feel free to call in at 323-679-0841 if you would like to share what's going on in your world and the community. Right now, we will start off with Brother Anthony. We're going to ask him, what's going on in your world and the community, Brother Anthony? Okay, uh, several things. Uh, To start off with, uh, there was a clash in Louisville, uh, Kentucky, over the weekend Weekend. uh, between, Uh, between, uh, uh, let's see, see, uh, uh, the right-wing European militia and and, um, Black Lives Matter forces. And also, and they're trying, also to they're trying to assassinate Breonna Taylor's, Taylor's uh, you know, character, uh, you know, character by, uh, by uh, uh, linking her with, linking a, dr- her with a drug ring. ring. And, uh, and her her uh, uh, ex boyfriend uh, was offered was, uh, was offered a plea offered deal a plea if he would implicate, he her, would in implicate that. her in that. So, uh, so, you know, uh, so it seems like one of the typical methods of the police is to assassinate the character of, you know, of the victims. And also, there seems to be a step of attack to undermine the government of Venezuela. Which is, uh, Which is uh, and the relationship uh, and is the, the fact that Africans fact are being, Africans oppressed, are being everywhere. oppressed everywhere, wherever in the world, we live. the world we live. Okay, thank you, Brother Anthony. We then move to Brother Haki. Brother Haki, what's going on in your world and the community? Well, the Africa, you know, I, I, I thought it was an opportunity, you know, you know, we often we allude to Pan-Africanism, and I think maybe there are some people who are confused in terms of precisely what is Pan-Africanism, and does it how to uh, contribute to the uh, interests of African people in terms of um, self-determination. So in event, so I I, uh, I, I wrote this this, I hope it clarifies, you know, what uh, Pan-Africanism is and why Pan-Africanism is so important. By the way, are you getting feedback, uh, Brother Africa? No, we're not getting no feedback, loud and clear. Yeah, we're getting loud and clear. I'm getting feedback. Oh, are you? We're not getting any from this from the studio. But yeah, somebody's recording it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Any event. All right. Okay. Now. Okay, now, now, the systematic, now export, the systematic exportation of Africa is not expressed Africa in terms of economics terms only, economics but social prominence that impedes Africa's development. Geopolitics have effectively utilized by Western states to form a division between what is euphemistically referred to as Sub-Saharan Africa as though it is disconnected from the northern region of Africa. This is one of the many strategies designed to undermine Africa development. A very minute strategy nonetheless. The much broader strategy centers around economic matters and an intentional international system predicated on the continuing impoverishment of the African continent. One of the biggest challenges for Africa has been access to 
to capital. This problem of access to capital has been exacerbated by global economic arrangements whereby the outflow of capital from Africa exceeds all foreign investments. Despite exorbitant interest rates Africa pays on loans, one would suspect access to foreign investments would be assured. If we superimpose these enormous financial benefits derived by Western trading with Africa, it is unreasonable to confer economics is clearly not the only catalyst that determines Western investments in Africa. While talking about investments, this should be pointed out how investments received are allocated, does impact the growth of Africa's economy, and unfortunately, faced with the choice of growth, money, excuse me, received are allocated, does impact Africa's growth economics. Unfortunately, this is the choice of growth, money earned by the populace, or saving money other things, excuse me, money for things other than bills. This dichotomy has little relevance for Africa's economy. Now, economic decisions are made not by African states, but by Western financial institutions that erect policies to ensure wealth for Africa is siphoned solely to benefit Western economies. In fact, according to Piketty, 30% of all Africa's capital, be the buildings, machinery, or infrastructure in Africa, are owned by Western states. And the repercussions negatively impact African economy as well as its people. In fact, the capital-to-income ratio in law is lower in Africa than any other country in the world. Capital-income ratio is a crucial to understanding the economic benefits of trade. Trade is conducted to maximize profits, which contribute to the overall well-being of a country's economy. What happens to a country or countries in the case of Africa that does not control its interest rates, the monetary policy, the amount of money in circulation, or the velocity and the speed in which that money flows through the system, or even the value of its own currency? Essentially, such states in the classical sense are really a colony. So the question arises, is Africa a colony in the 21st century? I think Africa is a colony in the 21st century for a couple of reasons. First, commodity prices, oil, gold, metals, etc., are not owned, set, those prices are not set by African states. Secondly, African central banks lack power to establish the value of African currency. We've got and with regard to the first point, commodity prices are set by exchange firms in the West the manipulate commodity prices. This manipulation does not take into consideration the availability of commodities. Only the maximum profit that can be extracted from African resources. Stated another way, the purchase of African commodities at a very cheap price. Africa's need for currency exchange and Western monopoly on commodity prices means African economies are essentially locked in or locked out depending on the point of history. Now, it should be noted, currency exchange does exist, excuse me, does exist states with the ability to trade with other states. But in the case of Africa obtaining foreign currency, particularly the dollar, does not enhance the value of most African currency. But on the contrary, it weakens the value of most African currency. Ironically, when other states obtain dollars of their currency, excuse me, when other states obtain dollars, the value of their currency actually increases. Such states enjoy the pegging effect without intentionally pegging their currency to the dollar. Obviously, a weak African currency not only complicates trade with other states, but is extremely inflationary for the domestic economy. Inflation simply being the increase of prices making buying simply impossible. 
Then the second point. Now, Alcocentral Bank has surely have tried to increase employment and economic growth. Typically, this is achieved by advocating for more foreign investment for purposes of obtaining foreign currency. By obtaining foreign currency, this, this currency gives increased value to a few existing African currencies. While most while the value of African currency may increase for a few states, there's no certainty uh, foreign currency will continue to flow into Africa. Now, politically speaking, what incentives would the West have in re- revitalizing Africa's entire economy? Stability of African currency may boost trade opportunities for African states, but at what cost? Well, this, I tell you, the echo was really getting on my nerves. <laughs> in event. Okay, African commerce negatively impacts the capital. Excuse me, development negatively impacts the capitalist bottom line. Do we realistically think that high unemployment statistics, high employment statistics in Africa, would be viewed favorably by imperialists, capitalists, or corrupt African leaders? Economic justice, although more visible, are certainly not the only motivation that shapes the West relationship to the West. Historically, there has been a great deal of antagonism between the West and Africa. Anything from writing Africa out of world history to assassination of power political leaders in Africa whose ideas could have liberated Africa. The most recent insult occurred last month when the Secretary of State Pompeo proposition North Sudan leaders he stated if North Sudan pays the U.S. $330 million, the U.S. may consider lifting the ban, stating North Sudan would no longer be considered an actor of state-sponsored terrorism. Now, U.S. corruption and coercion is nothing new, but the Brazen Act, the Brazen Act of, bra- of, of bribery is unprecedented. This criminal act is, is only possible because of the dollar's preeminence as the world's reserve currency. As it currently stands, North Sudan is unable to trade broadly because it is prevented from having access to dollars. Since most trade is conducted in dollars, North Sudan's economy has been shambles since the U.S. effectively imposed a trade embargo back in 1993. Alleging North Sudan harbored terrorist organizations, the real source of contention was North Sudan's recognition of the Palestine Liberation Organization. Interestingly enough, Pompeo's insistence that North Sudan recognize the regime of Israel demonstrates the irreconcilable conflict between Africa, specifically the U.S. and Western policy that continues to subjugate Africa today. Played by Western rules to never empower Africa, no matter how much some believe itself. Anything short of a united Africa setting its own policy placed into the hands of Africa's enemies. A unified social Africa is the only way forward for for the African continent. Okay, is it Brother Haki? Let's move forward. Yeah, that's to it. Yeah, that's it. Thank you, my brother. Let's move forward to Brother Moses. What's going on in your work in music, Brother Moses? Thank you, thank you, Brother thank Africa. You, um, Africa. I can't, uh, I can't believe I it's can't been a week uh, since we uh, since were last here. Um, last here um, seems like, seems like, like time has just flown. Uh, eventually, uh, in terms of the, the political the world, world uh, I don't think much extraordinary happened. I just nothing stands out in terms of my mind. I don't see anything extraordinary. Um, Trump is still, you know, the fascist that he always was, and uh, uh, Biden has been giving lip service to uh, to Black Lives Matter and, and general movement, uh, and um, nothing. I can't think of anything extraordinary. To tell you the truth, brother. I'm gonna leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Brother Moses. Panelists, Brother Anthony, I would like for you to maybe 
if you could, you mentioned one of the things that has increased is the intensification against against uh, Venezuela. Can you just elaborate a little bit more? Can I listen to one of you for me not understand what's going on? Yes. Um, the United States has been trying to overthrow the PSUV government uh, ever since Chavez was in power. And uh, right now they're trying to overthrow uh, Nicolas Maduro uh, through, uh, through various uh, means, um, economic sanctions to try to starve the country and, and preventing other countries from trading with Venezuela. Similar to what they do with Cuba, they they impose a blockade, which prevents other countries from having political and economic relationships with Cuba. And in terms of what that has to do with us, the majority, the majority of the people in Venezuela are, Venezuela are either in indigenous people in the Western Hemisphere the Western or Africans. And, uh, and, you know, uh, one of the things you learn from studying African history is that what affects Africans in one part of the world inevitably affects Africans in all parts of the world. And to speak about what's going on in your world community, what we're going to do right now, we're going to bring in our sister Empress. She has ran across some dynamics uh, going on in our community. I think our people need to be aware of, and we're going to bring her in right now. To my sister Empress, welcome to Africa on the Moon. Greetings, Brother Africa. How are you this evening? As, as Africa, you can hear, I'm on the ground, I'm at a place called Malcolm X Park. Uh, you know, there's a, a lot of Malcolm X Parks all over the country, but I'm here, the one here in Philly. And, you know, it's an interesting situation that has happened here. Um, yesterday, of course, we were able to come out to the park after we received the call and and literally was able to bear witness to something that no one had ever imagined that we would be seeing, particularly at Malcolm X Park. But there were strippers here in the park yesterday, and they had been here before. But I got a chance to actually see them yesterday. And while hold on, hold on. This is Can I stop you for a second? Sure. Did I hear you clearly? You said who was in the park? Stripper. Who was in the park? Or, or, okay, let me let me let me use the the name that they gave exotic dancers. Okay. Okay. And and this is a very interesting situation because what we were able to learn is this this is a sex ring. And so they're kind of running you through here in Philly because we were able to really track down that these are houses that are being set up in different parts of the city and these houses facilitate uh, you know, sex workers. Literally. 
And they have no shame in their game. They're not trying to hide anything. In fact, they're making it very clear that they have the right to be in the public park, that with COVID-19, they're not able to go to the club like they usually are able to to make their money. And, uh, again, we're talking about pole dancing. They had two poles out here yesterday doing the pole dance thing. Uh, very, uh, you know, very, scantily dressed, you know, dressed uh, with a lot of stuff uh, hanging out stuff and hanging out doing the gyrations on the pole and so forth and so on. Now, keep in mind, Malcolm X Park is, you know, just what it sounds like. It's a family, community-based park. Uh, so, so across from where these, these people were was, of course, the playground area where the children are. Um um, again, you know, again, their position you know, their was position they weren't doing was, anything, they illegal. anything illegal. Their position was their they had a right to be out there because what they had on was no different from you being on the beach. And they had a lawyer. So, so this so, thing was so well was organized. So organized. They had signs, literally printed signs that says "not allowed to not video allowed unless video permission." permission. Uh, they had tents uh, they had tent where they could change their clothing, change their clothing uh, or they had they had food giveaways. They had a DJ. All of that. So, so the last time the last that I came time out, that when, I I was out called, when I was called, they weren't actually they dancing weren't or doing their performance. But I did get a chance to talk to a female because I heard her saying that she was an advocate for women. So I approached her to, you know, to see. Uh, definitely, I didn't know what was really going on. But I approached her to ask her, okay, you, you work with women? Because I work with women. So, you know, what, what, what do you do? And she said, no, uh, I'm, a, I'm a sex worker advocate. And I was kind of, you know, dumbfounded initially. I said, excuse me? I, I said, what does that mean? I said, does that mean you, like, get jobs for sex workers? She said, yes. And I said, does that mean you, like, find people to pay them? And she said, yes. She said, they have a right to work, and and they have a right to be healthy, and I help to keep them healthy, and I help to keep them safe. I said, oh, snap, we don't raise the bar here. And so now social justice has gone into the realm of the rights for sex workers. And so family, all I'm saying is, particularly to our women, if we don't really begin to address what's going on in our communities as it pertains to these young sisters, because a lot of these were young black females, they had some white ones too, and some Latino-looking ones, but it was primarily black little sisters, uh, young, 18, 19, 20, 21, thereabouts, and you could tell that they needed a certain type of camaraderie, they needed to feel, uh, you know, involved or cared for, they needed, you could see that all in, in their activity, and again, this was a and large again, group. This wasn't just group. like this one or two like or three. Two this was three. about, 20, was about of them, 20 of them. Right? And right. again, they and were again, well they were organized well and, and had you know, people who were watching, monitoring, uh, they had security, all of that. This is what's going on in our community. So, 
Uh, Brother Africa, did you see the pictures that I sent you? I got the pictures. We received the pictures this evening. Yes, I did um, get the pictures. Thank you. Um, let me ask you this. She raised earlier that one way is how to raise money is when they perform in the park. They don't charge anything, but they just ask for donations. And people come right, up and yeah, what happens is, yeah, because that keeps you that again, they, they know how to do this legally. They come under the guise of being artists. That's why they call themselves exotic dancers. Uh, but they also had signs that said, uh, pornography, $4. Now, I'm, I'm not sure what that meant, but the sign said, porn, $4. $4. So they so made it very clear that, clear you know, that, you can buy you know, something. You can buy something. Yeah, you might not be able to yeah, do it right here, but you can certainly sign up for it. Um, um, while they were dancing were or doing dancing whatever, or people were throwing money at them, which is what they do at the strip club, right? So they were doing that. And, again, it comes with the guise of donations. I mean, this is happening at Malcolm X Park of all places. And, and again, this was to me a trial run to kind of see, well, can we get away with it and to what degree and all that. And they have housing. See, remember, gentrification has, has created this mixed uh, bag of stuff. It used to be, if you saw certain people in the community, that was already suspect and a question. Now, with this transitional stuff going on, you got all kinds of people in our communities under the guise of this change that's occurring. Okay? So, it, it's just crazy. It's really crazy. Fortunately, I'm out here today at Malcolm X Park, and it was a nice event, kind of, you know, dealing with black business and, and black Wall Street, so you can probably hear the drums in the background because they're closing out. But, again, uh, if you haven't seen this in your community, I'm pretty certain, nine out of ten, you will. If you're in an urban environment, this is coming your way because more money has to be generated in community, and they figured out how they're going to do that. One, uh, marijuana is going to be recreationally available as it is in Chicago. Chicago starting uh, January 1, you could buy, you know, marijuana at store. Okay, and so they now are working on the same thing here in Pennsylvania. You're going to see it in other states because they need money. They got to generate or make it seem like they're generating other money. And so you're going to see in the very near future see a lot of our people hooked on joint on marijuana because it's not going to be the stuff that people are used to. The stuff that these people are going to make available is going to be late and it's going to be addictive just like cigarettes, you see. And so folks better get ready for what's coming because this, this system has a real plan and they're putting it in place. And so this COVID thing has proven that they can manipulate and control folks at, at will and, and people and they'll get away with it. Let me just hold you, stop you right there for a few minutes. I'd like to get my parents in, maybe raise some issues or some questions based on what you have shared with us. Uh, panelists, let me just raise this question. Does the United States allow sex workers, the concept of sex workers? I didn't know they allowed it or something inside the United States. Other countries have that. I never knew the U.S. accepted as a legal, legitimate form. A, a labor and work. 
Uh, I wasn't aware of that uh, either. Uh, it's usually referred to as um, prostitution. The Right. The lot polite term for it, you know. Uh, right. But you know, but I'm, uh, but but this raises a serious concern, and it speaks to our lack of permanent political organization. And also, it speaks to the uh, triple oppression that our women face in this society because they are oppressed based on the nationality, class and gender oppression. And it's getting and, and it's getting and that's very blatant. And one and a question I have for Empress Chief you mentioned that where they where these uh dancers were performing is near a play area. Where they're uh, where their children uh, you know, uh, in the vicinity of where they were performing. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is a park and it's a well known park in the West Philadelphia area. People are out here every day and yes, the playground is right next to you know, it's all one park. But there's an area with swings and slides and all all of that, um, and so you know, they answer the question. Yes, it's children, but see, remember, they are putting this under the guise of exotic dancing. You see, and so, in an artistic standpoint, it's you know, it's kind of it's a great area, but but it's a legal uh, area that almost can't be disputed because. It's a public park. So the same thing is applicable to a public beach. So you 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 know what they were on the beach, right? Yeah. 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 Well, the the you know the bathing suits and all that that the women are now wearing on the beach is you know it's pretty revealing. So so the argument is, mind you, these people have a lawyer. So the argument is they're not exemplifying or showing anything different than what you see on the beach. So under the laws of public decency, that's the argument that's being presented. The same thing is applicable to a public park as it is to a public beach. Under the law. Under the law. But, uh, you know, yeah, uh, first let me finish up. Yeah, yeah, uh, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Okay, yeah, listen, uh, it's, it's unbelievable. But certainly, for the context of what's going on economically in society, I certainly understand. There is a certain amount of desperation that exists among the masses of folks. But I think in just in terms of just common decency, in terms of, you know, uh, how you get the money, it does account for something. And the mere fact that you can go to a park with children playing, and you can, I don't care what you call it, you can call it whatever you want to call it, you know, the mere fact that you're scared to declare and you're in front of children and you're gyrating on the pole, doesn't set a good precedent for young children, particularly young girls, who sit there looking at that nonsense. But more importantly, I want to ask Susan Empress, did, did she say that the people were throwing money at them? I mean, if, if people, I mean, I'm like, I'm like, that was one of the whole purposes. 
and remember, this is the spiel that they were telling people in the park that they, due to COVID, they could not be in the clubs and the other locations that they normally be in, and that they need to work because they have children and families to feed. And so that's and been so that's how been they've been able to win over, to win over, for lack of a better word, uh, you know, uh, people in the community. It's the whole issue the of issue they of need to feed their, their families, and they cannot do they it cannot because do the laws because right now laws prevent now people from going into certain facilities, you see. And so they said they need to feed their families. But you, but you know, Mr. Sam, but let me ask you this. I mean, one of the problems is that, you know, one of the problems in terms of moving forward is that we've we have, we have got this, this, this mindset which says that um, when we say that money trumps all other concerns. And certainly I understand, you know, I don't want to be insensitive, and I certainly understand the, 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 the situation people find themselves in, you know, as society deteriorates. I mean, certainly people have to need access to money because they have to feed their families. And certainly I don't want to be insensitive, so I do understand that. But certainly, one, I mean, it seems to me that this could have been achieved by, you know, other kinds of means in terms of getting money as opposed to uh, preventing it in a family, you know, uh, a family-centric uh, kind of, you know, oriented park place. Uh, so I, 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 I think that these people who are doing, I'm, I'm curious, but these people who are doing the money at, at, these, at, these, at these young women, were they young, young guys, older guys, or a combination of the two? Both. Both. And, and let me and, give and a sidebar here. here. All of that was of that really was orchestrated. Really and what I mean by that is by that it really, for me, really, for my observation, for me, wasn't, wasn't about they needed to work needed and all that stuff. All it that wasn't stuff. even that. It wasn't even that. that was part of what they, were saying, what they were saying to, to win over, to win you know, over, being you know, able to do it in the community with less uh, with less kind of, you know, attack. Kind of, you know, attack. I watched it carefully. I watched it carefully. This, this whole thing this whole was set, thing set up for a very, for specific, a very reason. specific reason. And, and that part about we need to work and all that was just, that just a little thing they threw in. in. Um, um, they they got the they, response they got that they wanted, which they is, wanted, as, which you is said, as you just said, said people threw money, mostly males, of course, and they were of all ages. And they were sitting there watching. They were enjoying the show. Okay. This was an outing for them, and they were able to see what they wanted to see live. What was the response of the, of the young ladies who sat there watching these guys, their, I'm assuming their, their friends, their husbands, and so forth, throwing money at these people, particularly in the park? What was, what was their response? What was there any response at all from the well, young ladies in the park? Well, yesterday, there was little response from anybody. Now, when I came out uh, two or three weeks ago when I was first informed, but they weren't actually dancing at that point. They were, they were holding a press conference because they had already danced uh, a few days prior. 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 But but at any rate, but, but at um, rate um, <laughs> they, this thing, this thing again, this again, is something that is something in that the, is community. In the community. community. Because as I investigated further, I, I learned further, that I learned the house that, 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 they, house live that they live in is just a block away from the park. So my suspicion is that these people are literally finding locations that they feel they can set up shops. 
All right. And All so, right. again, and so, the, the female, the female uh, who at first I thought she was um, Caucasian or, or Latino or something, later as I made inquiries, I found that she has an Indian background, an East Indian background, from what I was told. So, and she literally stood in my face. I, I tell you, I had to really contain myself when she told me that, um, you know, that she gets work. For, for, these for these girls, you know, and, and technically you know, she's a madam. That's what it really comes down to. Really but they have refined this thing so well that they put it under social justice kind of uh, a format that they have rights as sex workers, and they're literally saying this. So, Brother Anthony, this is not, they're not using the word prostitution. They have refined it into the context of we are sex workers, and and we have the right. They they say they have the right to to you know to their profession. They have a right to do what they do. They're not doing anything illegal. And this is what they're pushing, and this is appealing to young girls. This is also, as I observe, a a homosexual uh, kind of, uh, you know, meshing as well, because you could see within their interaction, you could see that there were other kinds of relationships and and other kinds of things going on, they were hugging each other and, you know, different things. Uh, Also, you know, the the people that like to wear all the different colored hair and all of that. So so this thing is a... it's just, uh, it's just crazy. It's just crazy. It's a combination, it's a combination of, a of, of a bunch of different things. But but the bottom but line the bottom is line money. Is money. The, bottom the bottom line is degradation. Is degradation. Um, they have no shame uh, in their game, no in their game. As, I as I indicated earlier. Indicated earlier they're very aware they're very of what they're doing. And what, what Brother Haki said about decency, that was raised the last time I was out. Some of the women that came out, they were very upset in the community. They spoke out about it, and the, and the young girl said, decency, according to who? According to what? So they were saying, you know, you're talking about your Bible, your your Bible or your Quran or whatever, and they said, that's for y'all. They said, that ain't got nothing to do with us. That's y'all's rules and laws. That's what they said. And then one woman has said, well, what about our elders? You're disrespecting our elders. One girl said, so what have our elders done for us? That's what they said. So we can think all we want to about what we think, okay? And that's fine because that works for us. But they made it very clear that what they're dealing with and in their world, that ain't nothing to do with, with them. Unfortunately, capitalism incurses that kind of selfishness. In other words, every individual is out for themselves, and they don't care what impact that might have on other people. And, and you're also, right, my brother, also, but here's, brother, here's the thing that, again, I have also, to say, not in your defense, but in reality. If all you know... You're 18, 19 years old, 20 years old, whatever. If all you know, because I can look at some of them young girls and I can tell after working with women and girls for 25 years, I can almost tell when when you've been sexually abused or or beaten or 
abandoned or what have you. So I'm saying, you know, logically speaking and, and, and reasonably speaking and all of that, you're absolutely correct. But when you're dealing with people who have not had either nurturing, uh, other kinds of experiences, etc., then you have to you have to really take some of that into into consideration realistically. So when I first encountered them and talked with them, because I literally talked with them. They were receptive. They they hugged me because you know I just talked to them straight, and they appreciated me talking with them. So I gave them my information. I got their information. But then when I wanted to reconnect with them, I could get no response because I already knew they had already been advised not to respond. I already knew that. So I'm saying yes. This system has made sure that their selfishness is, of course, uh, you know, made to a greater extent. But we're also dealing with the fact that in our communities, we have nothing for the most part that we're offering to our children in our communities all over the country. You see, we don't educate our own children. We send them to the enemy or were. Five days a week, seven hours a day, we send our children to the enemy. We have no, little to no independent institutions in our community nationwide. We used to have some cultural centers. We used to have some other kinds of things. Now, most of what goes on in our community, if it's not sponsored by the government or corporation, it's not happening. So, so the experiences of culture, of, of other kinds of interactions, the churches have become, like, you know, corrupt all across the board. You know, telling what what's going on in there, et cetera, et cetera. So we have to be really critical in our analysis in a holistic perspective. Because the fact of the matter is most that no little something Meaning we've done some studying or we've done some, you know, whatever, whatever. When you ask, what is what are what is that unit? What is what is that group actually doing in our communities that's not connected to their job? You see, all the social workers, all the teachers, all you know, all of the psychologists or whatever in our community. If you most of them, most what do them, you do in the do community in the that community helps our people? Because I've done this. Nine times out of ten, your answer is going to be very brief. At best. So we've got to do a very realistic kind of assessment of some things. Go ahead, Brother Hockey. <laughs> yeah, but you know, but, but you know, one of the, one of the problems, um, since the Empress, is we're, we're caught up in a bit of a paradox. Because the whole thing is that we all can agree that certainly something has to happen on an institutional level in terms of screening the proper conditions to ensure you know, our people are uh, um, uh, uh, being in a position to excel. 
and to, and to take positions that feel uh, toward the empowerment of our community, not destroying our community. And we all can agree with that philosophically. The problem is that what Brother Anthony is saying is that we have a system in place which conditions people to believe certain things. And so clearly we understand when we talk about class and African communities, and we talk about African folks who are imbued with those same kind of mindsets, the mindset which is very destructive toward the aspirational interests of the African community. And so therefore we, we, we engage in this discourse and trying to get them understand that, listen, if you don't change the way you think, if you don't begin to question the system and move toward building institutions or that we need, then we're in real trouble. So we call up in this paradox. We all understand that we need certain things done, but see, that's not the issue. The issue is that can we, 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 need, we need a critical mass in terms of being able to actually get things done. So you have an idea, I have an idea, Brother Anthony has an idea, Brother Africa, Brother Moses have an idea, that's fine. But you know what? It won't come to fruition if we don't have other people to work with to bring it into fruition. That is the problem. And so we're caught up in this paradox. And this is the problem we're talking So you talk about, you talk to the young girls, and their position is that, well, they obviously did nothing for me, or I don't care about them. I don't care about your religion. Blah, 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 blah. So they don't have a, they don't have a framework which gives them understanding in terms of, you know, how the interconnectors in terms of community. So they have no understanding of that. So we have to, we have to break through that in terms of getting understanding. So listen, sisters, what you do does probably impact the community, and this is how it affects you, but you got to get them to that point, and this is the paradox we're in, we're still trying to get people to understand that if we could persist and do those things that are counterproductive, then we only hurt ourselves, we can't move forward until we get people to get even understand that, and you got to have, so can have a critical mass, and this is the problem, so the problem that we're defending with, so your response. Well... I, I agree, my brother, and yes, uh, this is a paradox, and that puts it mildly. Uh, but I also say this, that we, and, and I am doing this now, by the way, um, and that is dealing with uh, levels of accountability, meaning I'm not going to allow uh, my relationships uh, my and interactions with people, it's going to be based now on what are you doing, you see, meaning, um, I, you know, I, I know we all can't do this or that or the other, but we all can do some things. And given, the, uh, and given what we are now dealing with, we see that our community, our communities, rather, is, is just absolutely dysfunctional. You know, we saw this with COVID, for example. All over the country, there was nothing in place, for the most part, that was able to respond in any kind of way. And see, that is critical. Uh, we, we need to examine that critically, meaning uh, we have nothing in place to deal with any types of emergencies. And so one of the things that we're implementing, meaning MWM, we're getting ready to file a lawsuit against the city of Philadelphia. And we plan to do it in other cities as well, but we're going to use Philly as a model. And it is because we're saying that the, the city of Philadelphia, as other cities, have been were negligent. They were negligent because... For example, city council here in Philadelphia has a uh, public safety committee. So each member of city council is on a standing committee. One of those standing committees is called public safety. Now, after 911, the federal government created the mandate where all of the major cities was to have an emergency response preparedness plan. 
So most, if not all, of your major cities incorporated within their structure something that was applicable to emergency preparedness. Now, here in Philadelphia, they had a whole, under the managing director's office, they had a whole unit that was called emergency response, emergency preparedness, because it was a mandate. Federal monies went into those programs. And again, this is on a national level, because again, at the 911, they said, oh, you know, we'll never be caught off guard again, and da 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 da. So they made certain that every major city uh, would have in place something that could deal with certain types of emergencies. So no one knew what the emergency was, but there were primary things that were to be put in place. Uh, water, for example, that was a primary, regardless of what the emergency was. Uh, trash that, these things were primary. Bottom line is this. This went into effect roughly around 2005, uh, you know, at least by then. So what we're getting ready to say to the city of Philadelphia is, excuse me, but you all have had a website that has all this information about what you do and, you know, what you did, 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 that stuff never happened. They never had no training classes for the community, not for the black community. They never had any uh, information uh, what to do, you know, in case of an emergency. And, 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 and let me just say, an emergency can consist of, for example, if you live in an urban area, uh, say there's a fire. Uh, for whatever reason, that fire might spread to another house. Okay, well, they may have to cut off electric. They may have to cut off water or gas, right? That's an emergency. So the city was responsible for having in place an, an emergency plan. And this is applicable to all cities, by the way. Now, when COVID hit, of course, no one knew COVID, but the have something in place once everything got shut down as to where you get water, as to where you could get other, in this case, masks. There was supposed to be a plan, you see. That didn't happen in no city that we know of so far, but definitely didn't happen in Philly. So we're going to raise issues to that because we know in Philadelphia, as in most major cities, who got hit the hardest with COVID hit in terms of the deaths, in terms of, 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 of actually contacting it. It was the black community. So our question is, excuse me, but uh, didn't you have a whole unit in place to deal with emergency response? And where was the plan? How do people know where to get food or where to get water or where to get any kind of whatever? There was none, you see. So, so my point is this, that People can do what they can do. Brother Haki is right. We're in a, 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 a really, you know, interesting kind of dilemma. But people aren't doing the things that they can do. And some of us have to be very vocal about that and say to each other and to, to whomever, uh, you're fronting. You're fronting. You're talking all this black stuff, but what are you actually doing? That has that question has to be right. And, and by the way, as I said earlier, I do that with people now. I ask them, um, what are you working on? Can I help? 
Do, do you know what? Because if we're not prepared to hold each other accountable, and, and I don't mean that in a vindictive manner or in a, you know, uh, you know, I'm trying to get your business and all that. No, not at all. I'm saying as people who say we are about African liberation, black community, black family, the question has to be either from an organizational standpoint or an individual standpoint. So tell me, uh, what what is being done that lends to that? Realistically, we have to raise the bar now. So again, I don't allow people to to be in my circle or in my space. And and they can answer some questions about what are you doing. How can I help you? Because if I ask you that question, I'm also prepared to offer to you whatever I possibly can. All right, panelists and guests, what we're going to do, we're going to pause for this cause. We're going to interruption and break. When we come back, we will continue to discuss this important issue. As you know, our theme is issues that you need to know. So we'll be right back. This is Africa on the Move. I'm not 
culture break of Revolutionary Music. We were discussing under the theme, what's going on in your world community. With our sister, Empress Chi, she stated that there's a new phenomenon going on in our community. This is definitely something that you need to know. And she talked about this issue of introducing this concept of sex workers, looking at this whole issue of how people can manipulate um, this whole idea of the concept of social justice and how they can manipulate the communities into bringing maybe negative elements into our communities and it's not in the best interest of our children and our people development. This is something that is a reality. This is something in terms of understanding tactically how the enemy can use rules and regulations to undermine your interests, but more importantly, it's an example of how this is a, also an ideological war, cultural war that's going on against African people and oppressed people, and we must understand the various forms of these wars and how they take place. So again, if you're listening to this program, feel free to call in at 323-679-08. Share your views and your perspectives, and we'll go back to our political analyst and Sister Empress as we continue to have a few more minutes dialogue on this particular matter. One of the things we have not heard from is our brother Moses. Our brother Moses has been listening to the discussion. Brother Moses, where you weigh in on this discussion? Well, I think, you know, we have to understand that this is capitalism, and capitalism, capitalism makes a commodity out of everything, including the sexual activities. Um, it's turned into commodities, and so these so-called uh, young capitalists, entrepreneurs, or whatever, pushing Areas, and uh, you know, obviously, um, we don't want to. We don't want to turn uh, uh, young people to uh, sex workers per se. And uh, so, it is very that uh, this situation has developed. And uh, I'm sure we need to give it the attention that is being given. Thank you. Thank you. You know, panelists and guests, one of the things we raised last week, I don't know if people were aware of, it's all when this, 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 the genre, genre of um, using and exploiting our youth and children. There's um, information going around the community that women can buy a brow, they can buy a chest brow, and in the brow that they buy from these stores, there are computerized tags inside of the tags of these brows where they are using to electronically track young girls and women. Now, given the fact that, you know, there has been some recordings, examples of um, concretely tracking down that reality, here again, we talk about all kinds of sophisticated forms. Uh, attacking and animizing our people, particularly women. So given the nature of this is taking place, and I very, very rarely hear any kind of prosecution coming from it, um, these are just various forms of warfare against our people. I'll just open the mic back up to Empress and then find the thoughts you'd like to have about that and 
And I let our panelists say some founding thoughts on this response. And this is something like we tell our people: we like we can't give you, we may not give you what you want, but we definitely try our best to give you what you need. They need to understand the issues and things that are going on in our community. So the emphasis and the founding thoughts on on, on this particular phenomenon. Yes, Sister Empress, any final thoughts? I don't know why we have a problem with Sister Empress, but panelists, give us your final thoughts on the phenomenon. So how would you, Brother Haki? Brother Africa, I think you uh, you pretty much summed it up in terms of um, the uh, impact. um, you know, the kind of uh, the kind strategy and tactic in which can happen community. Unfortunately, you know, in order for us to, to appreciate the strategy tactics being employed against us, first and foremost, unfortunately, we, 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 have, to, we have to read more. We don't have any other recourse but to read more. Uh, because becoming much more, these, these strategy and tactics are much more intricate, uh, much more difficult to discern. And so without, you know, some reading, some basis in terms of understanding fundamentally, you know, how to system is organized and it becomes almost impossible to to determine uh, what, not only what they're doing but the impact it has on the African community. So we're in a very difficult situation. There's no, there's no question about it. But Sister Empress talked about the fact that she's talking about you know going to the government and actually uh, raising the questions in terms of uh, you know um, the, the, the government uh, transforming the way it does business in terms of constitute what constitutes emergency. The problem is that there's two things. One, when we talk about governments, we got to talk about immunity that governments have. Uh, and one of the problems uh, is that it's very difficult in terms of, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, suing uh, governments or local municipalities. The case in terms of Flint, Michigan, in terms of water contamination, even though it's well documented, not a single person has their hands on account, in part because they've been able to effectively hide behind the bureaucracy in terms of the local municipality to shoot themselves from being, from being, uh, from being charged with a crime. So this is a fundamental problem we have. But the second thing, I think, also that when we talk about emergencies and just in terms of, you know, how the Constitution or how law is articulated, one of the things, the only thing on the, 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 the local municipality to define what is an emergency. And one of the problems is that, you know, if they're going to define emergency, of course emergency is not going to be defined in the sense, uh, in the broadest possible sense, in the sense that they're talking about the dereliction of duty. They're not going to define emergency as such. So they have the upper hand in terms of defining exactly what emergency is. The problem is that even getting this to court, they even have a, they even have a, a degree to the court. Uh, it's going to be a very difficult challenge. Therefore, they'll they're probably throw it out on guys that, uh, you know, number one, that the, the so-called the government, you know, has a certain amount of immunity, and certainly, you know, the question in terms of emergency, that is something that the government defines and not individual citizens. So it's a very, very difficult problem. I, I think that, you know, and I, don't, I can't underscore this enough, but the situation that confronts African people, I mean, I, I don't know how I keep saying how perilous it is. And I keep saying that word is simple because it's very, very real. But unfortunately, you just can't compel people to want to know what reality is. Well, of course, on one hand, you got people who invested in not wanting to know the truth simply because it's easier not knowing the truth. And you got people who get make their living in terms of the system, and so therefore they got a vested interest in ignoring the truth. So you got these 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 these, these, these fundamental uh, ironies that uh, plays a big part in terms of human behavior. The only thing we can realistically do in terms of try in terms 
terms of trying to change the situation, we can only try to impact on what people think. It's all we can do. That's all we can do. The people themselves don't find the necessity in terms of confronting what's going on in society, then you know what? Nothing's going to change it. And unilaterally, if we think for one second that unilaterally, if we think individually, if we think as you know, that we're going to actually achieve anything, it's a very difficult thing. It's not like it was back in, you know, 30, 40 years ago in which you came up with ideas because the ideas are revolutionary and different that you got media coverage. Now the media is very sophisticated. Now what happens is that any idea that's revolutionary that has potential in terms of waking people up, you know what? They disregard it. They don't even talk about it. They like it doesn't exist. And so you so your message get limited your message is, is limited in terms of you know actually reaching people. And so this is part of the strategy that they employ in terms of making sure the oppression of our people continues. So we we we're stuck in the rock and hard place. Unless we can innovate some means in terms of our own communications. Uh, you know, and even in that even that context we're also bounded by certain laws in terms of society. But so that even we innovate our own technology, you know what? We still have to it's mandated under the Telecommunications Act one and two that we have to install a back door to make sure that the government have access to tap into to, to, to that technology. So it's not like you so it's not like you know um you know that the uh, the, 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 you know the situation that, that, that we find ourselves confronted with is something that we that we're somehow naive about. I mean, we understand you know implicitly you know, the very real challenges that we face, but we have to have people who number one who understand what the issues are, secondly who are able who are willing to stand up for it. It's a very difficult it's a very difficult thing to do, and and one of the things that I'm very much concerned about in terms of we look at the history, in terms of you know uh, uh, you know innocent people you know being slaughtered. When you look at uh, places in like Germany, you look at places like uh, Italy, you look at places like um, uh, places like um, historical England, and you look at in terms of the depth that results, you know, when systems have to change. Uh, no one should deceive themselves into believing that somehow that the system deteriorates, that somehow that you're immune from the same kind of abuse, subjugation, and death. We're not. But it's a very difficult thing, brother. After so, how do you get people to want to understand this stuff? It's a very, it's a very difficult thing, and uh, you know, and, and, and we don't have a luxury in terms of actually, you know, uh, limiting in terms of who we have discourse with. We got to assume that, irrespective of where they come from, or people level of understanding, that we at least try to to educate them in terms of what's going on in the world and hope that somehow a little bit of what we say uh, resonates with them and compels them to say, you know what, i got to get involved this is nothing because we're talking about the future of not only my future, but the future of the children. It's so, it's so imperative that we do. So it's a very difficult situation we find ourselves in, but I, I wish Sister Empress luck in terms of her, her attempt in terms of engaging the city in terms of fundamentally address a systematic wrong that afflicted upon African people. Uh, you know, uh, uh, like I said before, um, I seriously doubt in terms of giving the immunity that governments enjoy, local municipalities. I'm, I'm doubtful that it will even that that, that it even come it, it even get a hearing. I seriously doubt that. It'll probably be dismissed at the uh, on the uh, district attorney's level. So in event, I'll close it up, brother African. And brother African, any final thoughts you'd like to make? Yes. The our oppression is ideological above all. Always had been historically. Historically. Uh, throughout our history, uh, and uh, that's and why the that's enemy why does, the enemy uh, does uh, such, uh, such spends such, such resources inculcating fear. fear. 
among among the masses of our people. But in spite of that, where there's oppression, there's resistance. That's one of the main lessons that Kwame Ture left us with. And that we have to intensify our efforts to educate ourselves and get organized so that we can change uh, policy and not really follow it. But actually change the uh, the world. But that takes a tremendous amount of organization and work and a lot of political activity. And we have to increase that. Okay, brother Anthony, can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we got no, I, we got no, I, okay, no problem. We'll move to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, you want to find the thoughts? Yes. Well, I yes. think, you know, as capitalism deteriorates and as the condition gets worsened for the working class uh, and as the bourgeoisie increases its wealth, we find that the, the alienation process takes place even more intensely. And so, you know, this commodities, uh, making commodities out of the sex, sex acts, etc., um, uh, is a private, it's a definite reflection of the fact that we're alienated from society. And alienated from ourselves and our humanity, and that's what capitalism does to people. And so we have to we have to educate and um, and try to uh, steer people in the right direction and back to back to humanity, back to politicization, back to socialization, and back to communalism. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, you listen to Africa on the Moon. We have in. <laughs> Excuse me for one second, please. <laughs> Sorry for the pause. And look, caught up. Something caught in my throat. Apologize. But listen, audience, you listen to Africa on the Move. We're having a little discussion on what's going on in our community and world. We encourage you to call in at 323 if you have any thoughts, ideas, we'd like to know what's going on in your world and going on in your community. We just have a call that just arrived. I think this caller may have something to say about what's going on in her world, community, share something with us. We're going to bring this caller in right now before we go to that station break. We have with us caller 5146. Five, Last one, number 5146. Welcome to Africa on the Move. What's going on in your world and the community? Caller. Yes, yes, this is a difficult time. We are all in a difficult time right now, and I think that we are in uncharted territory because the struggle is so painful. This is one of the first times that we have seen young and old, black and white, trying to reach out for social justice. It's unfortunate, it's unfortunate that we are so divided. So divided. I'm reflected now I'm reflected as to now what it was like back in the 50s, like and 60s. In the 50s and 60s. Seems as if we're fighting the same battles the same over, and battle over, again. over and over again. We really and truly really do need, to stay, need to stay focused 
and try to use this opportunity to make lifelong lasting changes. I'm sure that there are many people who are in different professions who are coming into contact with people who are struggling. When we call the police today, we're thinking that we're calling for help to make a positive difference. Unfortunately, it goes from zero to a hundred in a negative way. Something is very wrong. In the time when we still have black mayors and black district attorneys, it seems as though they are also struggling to make the final and right decision. How is it that it would take six months to even address the issue of a man being murdered in Rochester, New York? How could that possibly happen? The brother called, thinking he was going to get some help. Rather than call an ambulance, Uh, someone in the medical field when it was apparent that the young Mr. Prude was struggling with a medical episode he needed medical attention on the spot these police officers found it humorous how inhumane can that be when one man sees another man completely nude and struggling, you and don't struggling, have any heart to make a positive, make difference? positive difference. You think it's funny. You think it's funny. So again. So again. If it takes five, it takes and, six five months and six months to even address, to the, address issue the issue appropriately. Appropriately. Something is very wrong in America today. And it's not isolated anymore because the world is watching. We're no longer with the snail mail. Instantly, people in other countries can find out what's going on in America. And we are supposed to be the leading country. What kind of example are we setting for the young people? No, this is painful. This is painful. It's real and it's, it's ugly. It's not it's good. Ugly. It's not good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Carl, for your contribution to today's program. You're welcome to stay on. What we're going to do right now, you listen to Brother Africa. We're going to make our transition to part three issues that you need to know. We, we're going to pick up some issues that are going on in our community. We think you need to know about. Outside of ones that we had discussed earlier, we'd like for you to join in. But we're going to quickly take a quick um, revolution of culture break, and when we come back, we have an interest article that dealing with a multi-billion company called Bell. Bell Company, they are to pay up to a $10.9 billion settlement suit 
dealing with that product, Roundup Weeds, it causes cancer. We're going to discuss that and others when we come back. So don't you go nowhere. You listen to Africa on the move. Since we stepped our first foot 
on this continent under the European colonial domination. So right now, we're going to speak to two power. This is the third part of issues that you need to know. And we're going to start off with our panelists and others can weigh in. There was originally an article on the wire stating that they are to pay up to $10.9 billion to settle bulk or round up weed killer cancer suit. It reads this from Frankfurt, New York. It reads, Bill A.G. after more than a year of talks agreed to pay as much as $10.9 billion to settle close to 100,000 U.S. lawsuits claiming that it widely used weed killer Roundup caused cancer, resolving litigation that has been plummeted to company shares share price. So you said the bill um, bill is agreeing to pay ten point nine billion to settle the so called lawsuit. Over hundred thousand US lawsuit has taken place claiming that the weed eater the weed killer called Roundup. You know, you see commercials on Roundup, uh, how well it kills your stuff in your grass, help your grass grow, etc. But um they have seen to accepting the reality that it does contribute to cancer. Panelists, is ten point nine billion enough or what do you make of this um the so called so called settlement? Because I'm not sure it's a settlement because I'm trying to understand, even today, the same Roundup where it caused cancer during the settlement. I have seen this Roundup sold at stores like Lowe's and other stores. It's still out there on the market, and people are still buying it. And I have seen advertisement even around this whole question of Roundup. So what do y'all make of this particular um, so-called law settlement, Brother Haki? Yeah. Well, well, first of all, Brother Africa, this $10.9 billion settlement, I think it's for uh, propaganda purposes. There's, there's no way imaginable that um, Bayer uh, Corporation is going to pay $10.9 billion. That would affect the stock prices substantially, and I don't think that's going to happen. I think what's typically what happen, they'll put out a, put out a line and for, the, for public consumption telling you that they're going to pay a certain amount of money. But behind the scene, what happens is they appeal, and they go back and end up paying considerably less as a fine. So I don't believe the $10.9 billion uh, is, 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 is correct in terms of, you know, the potential or payouts. Uh, second thing, I think one thing we have to keep in mind also is that originally their brought Roundup from Monsanto. Now, we all know the history of Monsanto in terms of genetically gen- modified organisms. So we know about them in terms of their propensity to create products which are carcinogens, or which are very uh, cancer-causing. So we know about that, that history. So when they sold, this, when they sold Roundup to Bear, Monsanto had a clear understanding in terms of that their product, in fact, was contribute to cancer. But because it's all about dollar bills, it's all about money, and because the corporate power ability to to conceal information from the public which they don't want them to, want the public to know it's very easy for bear to to to, to consume that product in the process of making you know billions and billions of dollars 
So clearly, Brother Africa, this is just symptomatic of the kind of way corporations operate in the context of capitalism. So there is no, uh, there's no accountability in anybody. Uh, in fact, uh, corporations have so much power that in terms of, uh, you know, the consumer's right, you know, to, to reasonably receive a product that's not going to kill them, it's no longer guaranteed. So this is a fundamental problem that we're going to find out in terms of this situation in terms of Roundup. So as you alluded to before, Roundup is still on the shelves, where I'm very, very interesting. It's, you know, so clearly, you know, uh, even though the, pro- the product is, is a carcinogen, uh, clearly it makes money. And so, therefore, whether or not it's going to actually dis- or disappear from the shelves is questionable. So, again, it's just indicative of corporate practices. Brother Anthony, you would take on this article? Yes, I uh, concur with all the points that Brother Haki made. And uh, what I that this situation is symptomatic of corporate greed. Now, they're, they're talking about $10.9 billion divided among 100,000 cases, you know, lawsuits. Most of that money is going to go to legal fees and lawyers. If it goes that, if if that much, and uh, and the uh, fact that the weed killer is still on the market is big, you know, is reflective of the fact that that capitalists care more about property than they do about human life. And uh, And, Roundup uh, is used for things like uh, like golf golf courses, lawns, and that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, it's supposed uh, to be effective weed killer. But at the cost of, you know, giving the people that use the stuff cancer. Okay. Brother Moses, your thought on this particular settlement? Okay, um, this seven um, um, attempts to compensate people for the injury. Um, uh, it just shows that, you know, when, when the capitalists get their product, they, they, uh, they go ahead regardless of the, of the consequences, and they try to earn their money. And uh, people who get who get hurt in the meantime uh, must, and if they're fortunate enough, gather up a lawsuit and uh, sue. But uh, that's all after the fact, and it doesn't help the dead and the uh, and uh, an injury, an injury. But um, so um, I I hope that these people get 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 their payment reimbursed, payments and uh, it seems to be a legitimate suit. Um, bears negligent and the courts found them that way. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And caller, would you like to respond to the lawsuit? Call five one four six. Yeah, I think it's I think it's outrageous. I think it's, outrageous. it's absolutely it's absolutely outrageous. The Court of Appeals for the first appellate district of California back in July understood that um Dwayne Lee Johnson was entitled to receive at least ten million dollars in compensation. 
and that compensatory damage and another $10 million in punitive damage. As you know, when people of color stands to gain any kind of monetary compensation, it's very painful for America to do the right thing. They would rather see this individual die and fade into the wind rather than make it right by him because he has been damaged. And as your colleagues have said before, this is more about showing self. Unless someone steps forward and holds their feet to the fire, they're going to take a long, long time to get up off what we do. And that's unfortunate. Okay, thank you, Carl. Let's move to the next um, article, issue that you need to know. And from this article, I think it's a question of looking at how, how professionally and how principally the government care and love their people when it comes to this pandemic. There was an article that if people get a chance, they should check out called Cuba, Havana, on a curfew after COVID-19 resurgence. There was some resurgence of um, the virus in Cuba, particularly in Havana, and the Cuba have responded to this particular pandemic. Panelists, when you read this article, and how they address and the instructions and the decisions and the strategies they apply collectively to deal with this increase or this outbreak. What could you learn from how the Cuba dealing with it versus how you see what's, how the government is dealing with the same pandemic problem in the United States? Brother Anthony, I start off with you. Yes. Yes. In the case of the Cuba, case of there is a more uniform, uniform response, and they mobile and they took immediate action, which is what you're supposed to do in an emergency. And they took steps, you know, to um, impose, uh, uh, you know, uh, a curfew and restrict uh, travel and trade in order to save as many human lives as possible. And that's in stark contrast to the U.S., in which every city is supposedly has these emergency plans in place. But when an emergency occurs, uh, the the cities are ill-equipped to deal with them adequately. And it's not a question of wealth. It's a question of organization and planning. And uh, because, uh, because, uh, you know, they actually actually, uh, saw the need need to meet the needs of the people, and they put that ahead of uh, individual financial interests. And so-called freedoms of expression, expression, which people make a big deal about in the U.S. Okay, Brother Haki, your response to the article, Haki, with that one, and what we can learn from it. 
contrast between how they're dealing with it and how this society is dealing with it. Yeah, people are much very efficient in terms of how they deal with that. Uh, in terms of their ability to actually control the movement of their people, you know, from the Havana to other parts of, of, of Cuba, I mean, it's, 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 I mean, it's, it's impressive. Uh, but the reason why Cuba was able to do that is because the people legitimately trust their government. And so therefore they understand the government has a legitimate interest in terms of their well-being, so they're willing to comply with whatever the government tells them. Now, in, in contrast with the United States, one of the reasons why you have so uh, so much resistance in terms of wearing masks and movement and, and, and social gathering is that people don't fundamentally trust the U.S. government, and rightfully so. Uh, given the conflicting stories coming out of the Center for Disease Control, coming from the White House, coming from other health professionals, Dr. Fauci, Dr. Fauci included, uh, there's certainly so much contradictory information coming out that people no one don't, don't, don't know what to believe. And secondly, they, they suspect that this, this COVID-19 has more to do in terms of political strategies than anything else. In fact, it didn't help the situation when Secretary of State Pompeo alluded to the fact uh, that the U.S. in fact was behind in terms of COVID-19 as a global uh, operation. So clearly, you know, uh, you know, Cuba is doing a good job in terms of, of, of containing that virus. There's only 92, 92 cases of that virus in Cuba, but the mere fact that, 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 that 92 uh, compelled the Cuban authorities to, 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 to get into action in terms of preventing the spread speaks down in terms of just how much the Cuban government is committed to human life. So it's very, very impressive, and I just wish that uh, we had a similar kind of government here in America, and which gives a damn about the people, but of course we understand in the context of America, it's not about the people, it's all about popular building. So kudos to Cuba. Yeah, brother, I think I'll make a little correction in terms of the number 92. Up to this point, they have only lost 92 lives over over the whole country up to this point. Okay, oh. brother Moses, your take on this, how Cuba dealt with this. You like to respond, brother yeah, Moses? The Cuban, the, Cuban, the Cuban people, uh, as usual, are... Uh, Scientific, dialectic, historical, materialist in terms of their leadership and their and their guidance from the government, and so you know they are on top of this situation that is relative to um, the, the rest of humanity. Um, certainly, the, you know the leadership is conscious. Um, they take. A scientific uh, approach to dealing with it, um, the school systems, everything, and uh, and you know they express they express that consciousness uh, and that concern. Whereas you know Trump is aloof and uh, out of it, and so you know it's a sharp contrast to the situation we face here in, in the USA in terms of leadership. And uh, I, I admire the Cuban people. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, and call five one four six. Any response you would like to make based on what you read and heard as it relates to the Cuban dealing with the uh, pandemic? I think the pandemic has really and truly reflected the unintended consequences. Because not only were our leaders not prepared to address the pandemic. But as in America, as always done, we spent too much time looking at the color of your skin. And the pandemic has revealed 
those of us who are disproportionately affected with health, education, housing, finance, all of those things which sustain the individual lives have been sold. America doesn't like what it sees now. But it's a reflection of looking in the mirror. You can't deny the fact that people have died and they're expecting any more deaths before a vaccine is made available. So what this is saying is that in America, if they like you, approve of you, then they'll give you a job whether you qualify or not. And this is being exposed. People who are not prepared and not qualified for the positions in which they're held for years. And that's unfortunate. It has caused many more people to die because we were not prepared. That's America. That's America. You know, panelists, one of the things I thought really interesting came from this article when you looked at the policies and strategies out of Cuban dealing with uh, the spread of this pandemic is that they put emphasis on on the lives of the people versus working money versus making money. One of the things they did do was they closed down more workplaces as a result of the spread, not looking at opening up more workplaces so people can make money. You know, a general response to that, you know, just to that point alone, What's the let say about a government and a society? Panelists, it's open. Yes. Uh, What that Uh, says to me is the fact that they place priority over human life, life. which is a a, a philosophical difference difference between socialism and capitalism. Uh, human life uh, is human primary life is uh, under, a under a socialist system, system. whereas under whereas capitalism, under capitalism profits, are primary. profits are primary. Anyone else would like to respond before we go to this break and come back with that summary? All right, what we're going to do right now is you listen to Africa on the move. Tonight is part three issues that you need to know. We're going to take a rough your culture break, and when we come back, we're going to ask our panelists and our participants just give us their final thoughts for tonight. This is Africa on the Moon. Living in pain, today is the same, and nothing ever changes. Hung by a noose, can't tell the truth, filled with abuse, and everywhere there's danger. How long can this go on? When will the light I see? I know. I must be strong to last through 
journey 
was that uh, poverty is a result of culture. The people who, in fact, impoverished, in fact, had a, something um, genuinely wrong with the culture which they, they came up in, and so therefore that contributed to their poverty. Well, that notion was, was uh, discarded and discredited uh, back in the 80s. Well, guess what? Well, it's back what? again. It's back now again. economists now are saying that poverty only exists poverty among people who have a have a a somewhat chaotic, if not inferior culture. So here we go. But here we go. Here we go again. Now, in the context of COVID nineteen, we talk about all of these people losing their homes, all these people losing their jobs, people who uh, don't have any hope, any way forward. Uh, so what happens is that now what these, these, these economists are conveniently using this notion of culture to justify the uh, peculiar situation confronting lots and lots, millions and millions of people in society. So by labeling these people somehow inadequate, then you can justify in, in terms of government policy which systematically uh, ensures people lose their homes, or systematically ensure people don't have access to food, systematically ensure people don't have access to education. So here we go again with the same kind of politics that are being played. I think it's important we understand the nature of the, the, nature of the beast. And one of the things in terms of the, the, the conservative mind, one of the things is that hypocrisy knows no bounds. And particularly when you talk about conservatism, and this ability in terms of, you know, articulating ideas which has no relevance, but only have relevance in, in it to the extent that the relevance exists in the minds of conservative individuals. Keep in mind that these individuals can, can almost, I mean, almost create any kind of justification in terms of the, the suffering imposed upon people. So we got. To, so this is a problem that we're confronted with. So to the African community, you know, the bottom line is that these rationales, these justifications for the suffering, the systematic suffering of people. Simply, African people is not going anywhere. It's going to only going to increase. The question is, what are we going to do to respond? Uh, having said that, Brother Alfred, I always encourage people, it's important to unravel the matrix uh, because without unraveling precisely what's going on, there's no way possible in terms of discern which way forward. So we have to have an understanding in terms of precisely what's going on, why it's going on, and the impact it has on our community. Having said that, Brother Africa, you have a good night. Thank you, Brother Hackey, for your contributions to today's program. To our listening audience, audience, our supporters, our panelists, our special guests, and our participants on the program today. We thank all of you for being a part of this experience of Africa on the Move today. And we'd like to remind you that this program comes on every Sunday evening from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, U.S., and please share this with your network because we try to do the best we can to give our people the necessary revolutionary information so they can think and try to encourage them to join organizations so they can think more clearly. We'd like to remind you that remember, Africa is on the move. We want you to come and join it. Until next time, let's always remember to speak truth to power and describe to go forward our Back with Neville. Victory is certain. So we'll see you next week. And remember, we are not yet free, not yet you will. We leave you with this message.
Hola. 
If you think of the Middle East in this modern time, you can't help but say the word Palestine. People there have lost their land. Some have lost their home. They live in other countries, their freedom almost gone. Palestine, Palestine. needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine. Needs, our love. needs our love. Palestine, Palestine. needs her freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love. Needs there seems to be no answer to give us the reason why people cannot live so no one has to die. We've got to take a stand for freedom, take a stand for truth. Take a stand for justice, that's what we've got to do. Cause Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love. We are the Fruit of Labor Singing Ensemble from North Carolina. We are the cultural arm of worker and civil rights organization Black Workers for Justice. Um, we came in from Raleigh, North Carolina, from Jacksonville, North Carolina, from Durham, um, and we're here because we support and we are part of the labor movement, but also part of the environmental justice movement too. We are with UE150, the North Carolina Public Service Workers Union, local of the United Electrical, Radio, and Machine Workers of America. In our communities, we fight on the job, but we also see the need to fight in our communities. There is no distance between the two. If we want justice in our jobs, we have to fight for justice in our communities. A lot of our communities face um, environmental hazards. Uh, some of us come from communities that have super fun sites in the middle of them. Some of us are part of organizations, environmental organizations that fight against coal ash ponds, that fight, that are currently fighting against the um, Atlantic Coast Pipeline, which will come through predominantly of colors, communities of color, black and Native American communities. Um, so we're fighting against that. We're fighting against hog farms, uh, proliferation in North Carolina, and the dumping in our streams from being contaminated from hog farms. So we see the intersections between workers being poisoned on the job and workers being poisoned in our communities. We want to close with a song. So we wrote a song, Fruit of Labor wrote a song uh, about water contamination based upon struggles that were going on in North Carolina. So we're going to do a little bit of it right now. Okay. It's called Justice Flowing Down 
like water. Family drank from a deep blue well to the ox and moved underground. Now the only story left to tell is innocence lost in community action. Justice flowing down like water. Clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water. Clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water. Clean water safe for all. There's a lot that she'll never see. Some say it's the mercury and the fish of Power plants causing you and me. Justice flowing down like water. Clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water. Clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water. Clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water. Clean water safe for all. Clean water, clean water safe for all. That's it. <laughs>